When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. You can only listen to this podcast if you voted. That's the rule. We don't oh. care who you voted for, but did you participate in American democracy on Tuesday? We hope you did. What about our Canadian audience? Oh, we love you, Canada. Um, seriously, some, if some you... guy said uh, he. Th- we were Ari and I were in Canada uh, last week because we were in Detroit working on some stories, and we stayed in Windsor, Ontario. And some guy sent me a tweet that said "Love BT in Toronto," and I read that as a guy from Toronto listens to Buckeye talk, or it could have been something inappropriate that I don't know what BT stands for, but I think it meant that he likes Buckeye talk. Wow. So we're in Canada. I don't know what. BT could stand for other than that. But I did do that thing on Twitter where it gives you an analysis of who is following you and where they're located. Uh Uh-huh. Do it. It trips you out. Because it's like, is there somebody in Pakistan listening to Buckeye Talk right now? Because I had followers in the Middle East, Australia. It's all over the world. And, like, some of them might be porn bots. Yeah, most of mine are porn porn bots. bots, So I don't know where porn bots live. But yeah, but I've also seen. Two. I think that they only do a real one because it it was a very ninety nine percent of the followers were located in America, but like it seemed like they would be legit people because it's like well people have walks of life that leave them lead them anywhere but they're still Ohio State fans. I've, I I bought it to be a legitimate act, like a legitimate display of where the people who read our stuff are from. I think there are people in South Africa who listen to our podcast because we use um, SoundCloud to host it. And SoundCloud, I don't really understand the analytics, but part of it shows you where the people listening are from. And I've seen I've seen South Africa, and I've seen Germany. So I think it's safe to assume that we are international. I do think every now and then there are people who are like on military bases, places, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that want to you know stay in touch with their home home state uh, teams. So if you are listening to this and you are in a different country right now. Tweet us so we can acknowledge that, and we will talk about you on next week's podcast. You can send it to at Bill Landis 25 at Ari Wasserman, or at Doug Maurice. Um, and I am Doug Maurice. We're here with Ari and Bill. We're talking Ohio State football uh, after the big 62-3 win over Nebraska. Four touchdown favorites over Maryland this week. So, of course, we're going to get down and dirty about the uh, interior defensive line of the Terrapins and whether they can... Um, you know, we're on to Michigan... Like, the team can't be on to Michigan, but we can be when uh, the next two games for Ohio State are against Maryland and against Michigan State. So we're going to go off the radar a little bit and just be interesting. And we're going to basically try to move players around the Ohio State roster and make sure – and maybe we'll give our suggestions to Urban when we're done. Make sure that these guys are playing the right position because all most of these guys here – 
played both ways uh, in high school. They were the best player on their team. They could have played anywhere. Uh, their high school coaches used them where they could most help the team win. Uh, and then they get to college and you hear, you know, coaches talk about sort of having f- not literal fights, but like, you know, the defensive coaches and offensive coaches, there are some guys where you don't know exactly when you recruit them where they're going to wind up and they battle over them. They say, I want this guy on my side of the ball. You know, Ted Ginn Jr. was a guy who could have been a defensive back, uh, wound up a receiver who's now been in the NFL for a decade. So, this is keyed a little bit off Malik Hooker and some discussion of whether he could play offense. I wrote a story about that on Monday. Could he be Ohio State's version of Jabril Peppers if they chose to use him that way? Um, but we're going to look at some other guys too. And so uh, a guy that I wanted us to start with, because you guys both had interesting opinions on this, everybody wanted to talk about Malik Hooker on Monday because he had a crazy interception return against Nebraska where he was weaving through the open field. But... I think there's another guy in the secondary that both of you think might be actually the best candidate to be an offensive player and maybe even an offensive star at Ohio State if things had worked out differently. And who is that, Bill Landis? It is left tackle Jamarco. No, it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's make him a fullback. It's uh, it's Marshawn Lattimore, right? Yeah, the Glenville kid plays. Apparently, he's a first round cornerback now. But, uh, yeah, he was super special on both sides of the ball when he played at Glenville. And I got to cover his senior season in the one year I covered high schools for Cleveland.com and uh, covered them on a state championship run. Uh, They ended up losing a state title game. But that kid, he was the best football player I saw that year. And I watched a lot of high school football. Actually, that's a lie because I covered Jabril Peppers that year. So Marshawn Lattimore was the second best player I saw that year behind Jabril Peppers. Um, But I think they were, like, sort of comparable in what they did on both sides of the ball. They were the kind of guy who, like, no matter if it was offense, defense, you were looking to see where's Marshawn Lattimore because, like, he might do something crazy on this play. And there's a crazy picture. Um, maybe we'll try to add it in with the post at Cleveland.com for the podcast of Marshawn Lattimore leaping, like, 70 feet into the air to block an extra point. It was, it was a field goal. It was a game. Like a field goal. If I'm remembering correctly, it was a game-winning field goal attempt against Solon, which was in, like, week two or three of the high school season, and he jumped up in the air. Very similar to what the guy from Penn State did against Ohio State. Jumped in the air and blocked the game-winning field goal. So, uh, Marshawn Lattimore is 6 feet, 192 pounds. Bill, what what was it about him on offense that maybe would have, in your opinion, having seen Marshawn play in high school, that maybe would have translated to the college level if he would have wound up on offense? Well, he's obviously fast because he's a really good cornerback. And the way they play cornerback, you have to be fast. But he was shifty, man. He... And I can't remember a specific play, but the way he made guys miss, he did it as, as well or and usually better than any player I saw with the ball in his hands. And it wasn't a case of, you know, he wasn't running crazy routes. And, like, it's kind of hard to tell when you're watching a high school game. But the, the way that Glenville played, it was just short, sort of get the ball in Marshawn's hands a couple yards from the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage with a swing pass, which is like Ohio State's favorite play now, and watch Marshawn just make 11 guys miss. Like, no one could tackle him. And it wasn't just them playing in the Senate League. It was them playing in the state championship and going through some of the best teams in Ohio, and he was unstoppable. No one no one on the defense could bring that guy down because they couldn't catch up to him, and when they did, he just made them miss. Ari, you obviously covered a ton of uh, Marshawn's recruitment from Glenville. We did a bunch of big stories in a series really looking at Marshawn Lattimore and Eric Smith, um, two stars from Glenville that year. How much discussion do you remember of, of Marshawn potentially playing offense 
in college, or do you feel like he got locked in as a defensive recruit pretty early on? I remember when you and I uh, went to Glenville for the Breaking Bama series, it was my understanding that Eric Smith was going to be the DB and Marshawn was going to be the receiver. I, I don't really know exactly when they made the decision that he was going to be a cornerback. Obviously, it's been a good decision because since he's been healthy, he's been a very good corner. Um, but I, I think during his recruitment, half of his offers, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, were offensive offers. Um, and I think they took him as an athlete. So I don't know that they were like, hey, come here and play receiver or, hey, come here and play corner. But I think it's possible that when he came, they just needed him the most at that position. And I think that's what we'll probably get into as we continue this discussion of what do they need in the moment versus what would be best for the program long term based on what their their depth chart looks like at the time. But I do think that at a certain point, at least half of the schools that were recruiting him wanted him to play offense. So he's been seasoned. He's made plays. And Bill saw him in person um, making those plays as offense. I think he was a very naturally gifted receiver. So he would have been a very interesting person to throw into this debate. And it's not like he doesn't have a pick six this year. Yeah. I mean, I he's mean, made plays. We were talking about Malik Hooker because he had a fresh pick six touchdown where he was running, running back and weaving around. But Marshawn can do that too. He right? can. And I think we're going to get to it. And Damon Webb did it too, didn't he? Yeah. Damon Webb did it on Saturday. And um, I think Damon Webb has been a defensive back first guy his entire career. Interestingly enough, uh, Bill and I were at Cast Tech uh, doing some stuff in Detroit, as he mentioned last week. And his head coach, Thomas Wilcher, said that like Damon Webb wanted to be a receiver when he was a freshman. And, you know, he said he was just had two – too much good size and great quick feet to be a defensive back, and he switched it. But I think that everybody kind of has that dream. David Webb is 5'10", 195. Um, again, Marshawn is listed at six feet. That that I mean, everybody wants those bigger corners now. When you have a bigger corner who can run, I mean, it does feel like, in the end, Marshawn's almost the prototypical corner, yeah. isn't he, with that kind of speed. We see the closing speed that he's shown uh, – the ability to break on a ball in the air and close that gap and then have the size. I don't think he's a real necessarily a physical guy like to come up and make tackles against the run yeah. necessarily. I mean, it feels like he's really more of a, this is a cover guy. Um, but when you look at what he is, again, he is six foot 192. Just let me give you a couple other numbers of current OSU receivers. Johnny Dixon. It's 5'11", 198, basically the same size. Um, Terry McLaurin is 6 feet, 204, basically the same size. James Clark, James Clark is 5'10", 186, basically the same size. Noah Brown's a bigger receiver. The freshman Ben, uh, ben Victor is a bigger receiver. Uh, Paris Campbell's like maybe a little thicker, I think. He, at this point, he's about 20 pounds heavier than Marshawn. But do you think if Marshawn Latimer was a receiver, he'd play? Would he? Where would he fit in this receiver group if, when he got here, they had decided, yeah, we need him at receiver. That's where we're going to put him. That's a really good question. I don't know because, and he, I said it before, I don't know how sophisticated the things he was he was doing on offense in high school were. Didn't feel very sophisticated. He was just a freak athlete who did freak things. So I don't know even. Like, he's not a Noah Brown, I don't think. Like, he wouldn't be, like, a big-bodied kind of throw a jump ball to me, even though Noah Brown's not huge. You know, he's almost 250 pounds at one point. Um, I think he's probably, like, a speedy deep ball kind of guy, maybe. I don't know. 
or an H, a slot H guy. I think he can be either one of those things. I don't think he's your prototypical wide receiver, but with that speed and elusiveness, I think he could be a slot guy, or he could be a guy who just runs by a cornerback and, and makes a play on the ball down the field. Do you think he could play? I do. I do think there is something to being the best athlete on the field in high school and playing whatever position they put you at. I mean, we were, again, we were in Michigan, and Antoine Simmons, the linebacker recruit from Ann Arbor, apparently has played like every single position on the football field. I asked him. He said every position other than offensive line. Um, and has been good at and it. I mean, if you can play defensive line and quarterback and receiver and do good things, it just, I think in the high school level, you're just, if you're a step ahead of everybody, you're a step ahead of everybody everywhere. Um, but I think that they used him at wide, I think that they're, that we always lose track, at least at Ohio State, covering these guys of, well, we'll just switch. I think there was something to be said by doing something every day for three years at the varsity level in high school and then being ready to go rather than making the transformation when you get there. And I think that is the reason why if you ask me which one would be more successful if it actually were to happen. Because, again, none of this is actually going to happen. No, um, no, we're not talking about guys they should switch. Yeah. We're just talking about guys who, if things had gone differently, maybe could have succeeded on the opposite side right. of the ball or a different position. I think that Marshawn – I mean, heck, when it comes to Malik Hooker – he had to learn a position in general because he didn't play football until his senior year, I think. So, like, they just decided, hey, the position you're going to learn is safety, and look how good he's become. Right. So I think that Malik Hooker has proven that, hey, he could have learned. So I don't know who would have been better if he would have started them both off. I just think that Marshawn Lattimore would have been a step closer to being a successful receiver because he had been playing it for three years. It's, it's hard, though, too. I mean, I think – and Bill has written about this. You know, I think one of the, one of the things Ohio State's gotten in trouble with is – taking athletes and then moving them to receiver, and then they're not very refined receivers when they start playing it, as you just said. And bringing in a guy like Austin Mack, who's a true freshman now, and some of these other guys, you know, they're, get, they're getting more experience at the position. But they have a whole handful of guys right now. Um, I, I wonder, I mean, we just said Marshawn Lattimore is basically the same size as a lot of these Ohio State receivers. As a, those are the Ohio State receivers who aren't doing much. Right now, yeah. it's interesting. I mean, let's say they put Marshawn Lattimore on that side of the ball. It's possible we'd be sitting here, and Marshawn Lattimore would just be in that mix of guys, one of seven guys who plays fourteen snaps a game at receiver, and we'd be talking about how well the Buckeyes have re- two really good corners in Garyon Conley and Denzel Ward. Hey, what if they would have played Marshawn Lattimore a corner? Do you think he could have been a big, yeah. a good corner instead of just in this big mix of guys at receiver? So I think on one hand, you could say, like, I could see him maybe being a breakout guy among that group of receivers and maybe being literally a starting receiver. On the other hand, he easily could have fallen into that that wash of dudes. And instead, on the defensive side of the ball, as we said, there are draft analysts who are pegging him as a first-round pick in his first year as a starter, the first year he's ever been healthy in college. So again, I mean, we're not arguing it. I, great choice. Right? Yeah. Great choice. But I just think I, it would be interesting. Maybe he could help the offense. Too. I think that this is a very interesting discussion because then you wonder, like, what if James Clark would have been a corner? Right. But I do subscribe to the belief that the best players on the team, regardless of the position, are going to succeed eventually. Yeah. If they have multiple years to focus on one thing. And I do think that there is a chance that Marshawn Lattimore is succeeding at corner because he's a step at a half a step against the guys who aren't succeeding at receiver. 
And I, th- if that, does that make sense? What and I'm he, saying? Because he's a what? Just because he's, he's a, a half step ahead from an athletic, natural, gifted playmaking standpoint, regardless of what position he'd be playing. To no be. offense, but he's just better than James Clark or Terry McLaurin or Corey Smith. And he or was all these rated guys. higher than all yeah. of these guys he's coming out of high school. He's a recruit. top fifty recruit. Yep. Yeah. Let's not forget that. So I do think that even though Ohio State is bringing in top-rated recruiting classes every year, it's kind of easy to forget sometimes that there are still upper echelon-type players within those classes, and Marshawn was one of them. And Marshawn Lattimore, if he's healthy, his first two years here, he wasn't healthy. If he's healthy, he's going to be a really good football Regardless player. of where they put him. Yeah. yeah. Um, but let me ask, we, we talked about this briefly as we were sort of coming up with this topic. For Ohio State right now, what is the more important position? Let's say you had... Marshawn Lattimore, and you said, we know he will be very good at either receiver or cornerback. Which of those two positions will help Ohio State win more games? Well, now it's easy to say corner. I think if you would have asked me that even before this season, I might have said receiver, but I think it's obvious now that it's corner because the receivers have not been great. The passing game has not been great, and they just beat a team 62-3 to and have won more games than they've lost, obviously. Um Corner is a premium position now, especially with all the like the spread offenses and the way teams throw the ball around. And Ohio State's got two NFL caliber, two first round NFL caliber cornerbacks. I think that is a, a much better weapon than anything you can throw at. Because it's, it's a tricky question, Doug. Because I think in general, cornerback is a more premium position in any team at any point than wide receiver. So the question is which. Does Ohio State need more to succeed? Are we talking about within the realm of this current roster? Or are we just talking about in general? Because Ohio State has proven over the course of the last five years, and they've had some very good wide receivers. I mean, Mike Thomas was a heck of a wide receiver, but they haven't really been winning at the level that they're winning because they've had four really good receivers on their team. I feel like if you have one and then a bunch of other guys who are competent, then that's enough. I mean, this is a running offense. This is a quarterback run-oriented offense. So what is more important? I think in general, cornerback in every on every team and just in the sport of college football, having a lockdown cornerback is probably better than having a, a better wide receiver just because in that situation, what would you take in that matchup against if you were a head coach and you had to start from the basis of of what you would have at one player, would you take the stud receiver or the or the lockdown corner? I think I would take the corner in that matchup every time. I mean, yeah. since Ohio State has gone to the man coverage – which they are now in their third year of doing. If you're playing cover two the whole time, and you have some, you have lots of good athletes on the field, then I think maybe it's receiver. Depending if you're a throw right. first offense that's going to throw it 50 times a game, and you play cover two on defense, then maybe I say receiver. The way they play, then the point you made about their run first offense, and the, what they demand now out of their corners, and again the the people we've seen them run through here at corner from. Bradley Roby to Duran Grant to Eli Apple to Gary on Conley to Marshawn Lattimore. Um, if you don't have two corners who can cover, I don't think this defense works. So I think it's even exacerbated that right now, Ohio State football, and, and again, it's sort of the point of they're going to have more decisions like this, right? They're going to bring in another guy. Again, it's every years year. Ago, yeah. 12 years ago, they brought in Ted Ginn Jr. And then Anthony Gonzalez, I think, was in a similar situation. What are you going to do with him? Both those guys wound up on the offensive side of the ball as guys who could have been corners or receivers. I don't know if Ted Ginn Jr., as great – God, he was a great college player. Yeah. And Anthony Gonzalez, at receiver, was a great college player. As good as they were, 
It's kind of hard to picture Ted maybe Ginn Jr. Today, yeah. Maybe today for this Ohio State team with how they play and what they need, they might be corners. Well, we saw it too with Eric Lover Williams, right? Wasn't he a, like a borderline five-star prospect? He's Superman! And, and I know was he eight when he was being recruited. It was H back. Yes, and I know he's little, and he we don't know what he's going to end up being. But right now he's on defense. And if you would have looked at that guy play at Canton McKinley, you would have thought that guy is going to get the ball twenty times a game in Urban Meyer's offense. And now he's playing defensive back. He's five nine, one seventy eight, a true sophomore who did play on special teams last year. Has basically only played on special teams this year, but has played very well yeah. on special he's teams. Like five, nine, yeah, but, yeah. He's like McCall, five nine, one seventy eight. He's like McCall. He's like Dontre Wilson. And it's one of these. Some of these, like if he was going to get the ball more, then maybe they beef him up so he can handle the load or whatever. Yeah. He's not getting the ball so they can have him be lighter and just run is... down the field. But yeah, I mean, they are. I do think they're putting some excellent athletes on defense. When out of high school, you look at them and you thought, man, they're so good. They've got to wind up on offense. Didn't they also do it with, um, and I'm going to say his name wrong because I don't know if it's Jason or Jason Wint, the kid from Brooklyn who also came as an athlete. Yeah. Who played running back and H back and safety. For the most part, if somebody comes to Ohio State as an athlete, you can almost assume it's probably going to be defense. Darren Lee. And I, and I do think that, and that's Brandon, why Brendan White, White is why I've, I've put, we put it together. Exactly. We were putting together the depth chart of like, you know, the scholarship depth chart that we did. Mm-hmm. And Bill and I were having the discussion. It's like, where do you put Brennan White? I said linebacker. We don't know where he's going to be. I mean, he thinks he's going to be a receiver. But, he you know, quarterback right I mean, now. The, the point of it is, is I think that Ohio State's cornerbacks are probably, not probably, are better than Ohio State's wide receivers. Yeah. And I think that Ohio State designed it that way. <clears throat> I think that they knowingly had a surplus of talent at corner. So that, I mean, even so they can make an adjustment like they made over the weekend. They had an extra guy that they could have plugged in uh, at the uh, slot corner, and it, and that adjustment worked. Right. Um, so I just want to ask this one question because it's just killing me, and I want to know your answers. Maybe at the NFL level, if you were a GM of a team and you had, could take Des Bryant or Josh Norman or whichever corner you wanted to pick, best wide receiver Odell Beckham or Richard Sherman, which one would you start your franchise with? Uh, I take the best wide receiver because you're talking about like like a Des Bryant or like an AJ Green. Like those guys are like basically not human with the way they play the receiver position. And I think that like Josh Norman is a very good cornerback, and there are a lot of very good cornerbacks in the league. But I think they're all kind of like Norman and Richard Sherman and all those guys are kind of on the same level. But AJ Green and Des Bryant are like worlds better than the majority of the wide receivers in the NFL. Yeah, that's true. Maybe it's harder I mean, because I, I, I picked a bad example because some of them are like not humans. But like the best said. of the best. I mean, I, I was going to maybe say corner because I feel like your corner can be good no matter what because he can cover the guy in front of him. Your receiver has to have a quarterback who can throw to him. But then as I was even thinking that, it's like, yeah, but that receiver might make your quarterback be good. I mean, Josh Gordon made when he was yeah so and the quarterback is such an important part of your franchise if you can have a receiver who makes i mean Andy Dalton Andy Dalton's been a fairly successful quarterback who's been in in the league in the playoffs consistently right mm-hmm. if he didn't have AJ Green what would he be I don't know I just think Richard Sherman and that team won a Super Bowl and I'm thinking of all the best receivers in the league and their teams never won Super Bowls and granted that entire team was really good yeah I mean, and it's not, a, it's not a fair. There. I mean, the Broncos just won a Super Bowl. I just based feel on like defense. if you have a defensive stud, yeah, I think I would take the corner because as great as AJ Green's been, 
I, I just think that the best teams with the best defenses that are in, and I think you can't have a great defense without a great corner. I, I think, think that's the, the number one thing. I think the draft would show you corner mm-hmm. is more valued. I mean, Corey Coleman went, what, 15th in the draft last year? It was the first receiver off the board. I yeah. mean, there's there's corners in the top 10 every year. I mean, that's why Marshawn Lattimore is the first-round projection. Multiple corners in the top 15. And, and I mean, I don't think there's a debate that the premium of the position of corner is better. Yeah. Or, I mean, is more valuable than receiver. And what, it, yeah. Which is probably a different discussion of would you rather have the best wide receiver or the best corner because the best wide receivers are crazy. But we can move on to the next thing. I but it's almost one of those things. I mean, I think the part of your point is, too, is, again, if Des Bryant, if you had 16-year-old Des Bryant, would you make him a corner? Maybe nowadays you would. Could you imagine six foot five cornerback? Because I have to think about like I don't know like would you make a six? That's crazy. But like I just like the reason why Eli Apple went number ten. This is the perfect example, is because he had really long arms, right? Wasn't he six one? Yeah. So I think that like the Giants fell in love with his intangibles physically, and they were like, "We'll make a great corner out of him," and that was more valuable than taking legit receivers. He was a project at ten, and who I thought and think. Michael Thomas is a better football player than Eli Apple. I thought he was last year at Ohio State. I think he is now in the NFL. Better football player, however you want to take that. Eli Apple went 10. Michael Thomas went in the 40s. And a big chunk of that was position premium. Can I just boast right now and just say that I was on the Michael Michael Thomas was going to be the best out of all of them train. And you guys might think I'm nuts because Bosa is doing well and everybody loves Ezekiel Elliott. But I still think I'm right. I mean, we said that. We had our podcast like last September, September of 2015, of like talking about future NFL guys for Ohio State, and I think we all said like, do we all say Thomas? Thomas? Yeah, don't just take it for yourself. Let's go the back and thing, let's, we let's all check tape. It. I want to check tape. The other thing, I think Michael Thomas is very good, and this is a huge digression from what we've been talking about. No, we got it. Yeah, situation matters. He went to the Saints who throw it 40 times a game, and Drew Brees is his quarterback. I mean, and Bosa and Elliott are doing really well, so whatever. Yeah. But I just want to let you know that I came up with it, and I'm the only one on the beat that thought that. <laughs> Ever. Um, Ever. <laughs> Take that, Mel Kuyper. Okay, so we'll do fake ad. Um, someday, I was going to say someday we'll have a real ad. I don't think we will, honestly. I thought we had Halo Top Ice Cream, man. I thought we had them last week, and they just said, thanks for talking about us, and that was it. If our boss called you up, or called us up, and we had a conference call with our boss, and he said, all five of you, or all three of you, take five hours out of your week to be a salesperson. You yeah. think we could get it done? I think that one of us could get something. If we dedicated five hours out of our week but what, and it was 15 total hours, I think we would come away with something. But, but what is something? But it's like are we gonna, we're going to spend 15 man hours in a week to get like a $50 sponsorship? I don't think we would get Nestle. I think we could get Late Night Slice. <laughs> <laughs> late Night Slice, your choice for Late Night Pizza in Columbus. When what, about a- what if it was 100 bucks? It would still be 100 bucks per podcast? or I mean, you, you tell us what you, how much it is, but I feel like everything would help. But I don't think spending 15 man hours to get a $100 sponsorship would be worth it. We need 10 grand. We need 10 grand. All right, so you guys, you're not going to be on our podcast unless you can pay for our travel for the year. I don't know, DK at Pittsburgh Sports doesn't. Maybe the CEO of like uh, Japan Airways listens to our podcast. We've got the CEO. We have, the CEO we have our Yankee Candle, Candle person locked like, in, yeah. and we're still waiting on Yankee Candle. We know you're listening, Yankee Candle. We, I don't know what your Yankee Candle advertising budget is, but Buckeye Talk podcast should be number one I think on your the 2017 between, list. And between Bill and I, we've definitely spent enough to make it already come back to you. I, buy a, I spend a lot of money. On, it's like embarrassing. Are you asking for free candles? I'm not asking for free candles. I'm just telling you that we have... 
we have people here that are like legit supporters of it. It's not like who was the person who said I, who said he would do a Seven Up ad while drinking Sprite if they paid him enough. I can't remember who it was, but it was hilarious. I am actually a Yankee Candle supporter. All right, so our fake ad was lamenting the fact that we'll never have a real ad. That was our fake ad of the week. It was going to be V8, but we, we didn't get V8. Yeah. So, Tastes bad. All right, <laughs> so uh, you know, how about this? Instead of a fake ad, if you don't pay us, we'll trash your face. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> oh, that was awful. Yeah. V8, the worst tasting tomato juice on planet Earth. Um, we might be onto something there. That we could get, we could get like five bucks each from like 400 companies, not to trash them. Um, okay, a guy I really want to talk about because Bill Landis, this is his wheelhouse of expertise. I'm always fascinated by. The high school quarterbacks and who gets moved to a new position and who doesn't. And like in the end, the way things worked out, I'm I'm interested and I think it's great that he stayed. But the idea that Braxton Miller went to college and stayed a quarterback um, and would have stayed a quarterback if he didn't get hurt his whole career and ended up being a receiver at Ohio State as a senior and then was drafted in the third round to be a receiver in the NFL. Um, I remember talking to Jalen Marshall's high school coach when Jalen Marshall was coming to Ohio State, was a high school quarterback who was really never considered as a quarterback at the college level and was coming to Ohio State to be an H-back or a receiver. And his high school coach was saying, like, I don't know why they're not looking at him as a quarterback. I I think he's a college quarterback. Um, And when you look at any of these guys, not that they're going to be NFL quarterbacks, but could they have been really good college quarterbacks, especially in a system like Urban Myers, where you want a guy – and again, I, Bill, I think this is one of the most interesting stories you've done in the last year or so of what does Urban Meyer value most as a receiver? And like throwing the ball was way down as that list. I yeah. mean, excuse me. What does Urban Meyer want in a quarterback? And throwing the ball was what? Not even in the top five, right? It wasn't – yeah, it might have been six, but it wasn't in the top so, five. So I, I like to think about that sometimes. What would Jalen Marshall have been like as Ohio State's quarterback? What would Darren Lee have been like as Ohio State's quarterback? Which leads me to the guy I want to talk about. What would Jerome Baker – Oh. have been like was, as a college quarterback, he was, and was yeah. that ever on the table anywhere for him? Probably not, because he wasn't, and maybe I misled you when I said that, he definitely took quarterback snaps. You said he was their quarterback. No, okay. I didn't say, Ray, I think Ray Cole McMillan said he was their quarterback. He played running back, I thought. He was mostly their tailback, because they actually had a pretty decent quarterback at Benedictine when he was there, but he definitely took like wildcat snaps, and he's definitely thrown passes. Um, but he was more of a running but back. You can say the same okay. thing about Brendan White. I mean, it's your point isn't, just because any of these guys, yeah. do you think? Well, no, I was all excited for that Jerome Baker point. All right, I would love it if Jerome Baker played quarterback because it'd be awesome. Well, well, let's let me focus on Jerome Baker, and then we'll get to the quarterback thing and whether because I think actually maybe what's happening with Urban Meyer is he is keeping guys at quarterback who maybe would be playing positions elsewhere who are going to project to the NFL and other positions, but he is smart enough to keep some of these. Um, Really good leader, really good athletes, really smart guys who maybe don't throw it like Tom Brady, but he wants him at quarterback. Jerome Baker as a high school athlete, though, Bill, and Bill Landis played video games with Jerome Baker. I did. Um, Could Jerome Baker have played offense at the college level? Jerome Baker could absolutely be a running back um, in college, probably for most teams. You know who he reminds me of a little bit? Um, And we saw him this year when Ohio State played Oklahoma. Uh, Reminds me of Joe Mixon a little bit. Um, the way he played running back, 
he's big. I don't know how tall is he. You have the roster there in front of you. I don't know how tall he is, but when I spoke with Jerome Baker when he was in high school, and I did so a lot um, covering his, his season at Benedictine and then his recruitment. 6'1", 225. He was um, – he like that's not a huge guy. That's a pretty big running back, but that's not like a huge imposing presence. But like when he was on the field, he like ran tall, if that makes sense. Um, and was just very powerful, very powerful runner. Um, he said he liked to model his running style after Eric Dickerson, which I thought was funny because Eric Dickerson retired like two years before Jerome Baker was even born. Um, but he ran tall. He ran tall, yeah. And that's why I think he the six foot one, two hundred twenty five pound guy who comes through the line with. I mean, he was a giant person. That's on that a pretty field. good comparison. Joe Mixon is six foot one, two hundred and twenty six pounds. Yeah, I think. I mean, it's a different kind of running back than I think we've seen at Ohio State because even Zeke Elliott and, and Mike Weber certainly are more kind of squat guys. Um, but Jerome Baker, I think, could absolutely play college college running back. Probably in most places, you see guys like Leonard Fournette. And I'm not saying he's Leonard Fournette, but like a similar powerful running style where I'm going to run tall and run you over. I don't think he was crazy shifty, but he was really powerful, and I think he could do that basically anywhere. He could do it at Ohio State if they wanted to handle the ball. Uh, having covered him in high school, were you surprised he he wound up as a defensive player in college? I, well, well, I was surprised because I, I was just like asking around. Everyone's like, well, he's going to play linebacker. He's going to play linebacker. And I was, so I wasn't surprised when he played linebacker, but I was surprised that that was the thought process to begin with. he was listed as a linebacker, wasn't he? He might have been listed as an athlete, but... But he played like he was. He had like 120 tackles as a linebacker, and he rushed for 1,400 yards as a running back. Like he did both really well. And it's always easier to tell like if you're a better, if you're a really good running back, it's easier to tell than if you're a really good linebacker because I'm not a professional football coach and I don't scout things like that. But if a guy is running for 80 yards every time I touch the it's ball, it's easier to fall in love and see the like, offensive oh, that guy's stuff. Good. Right. And I think it's important to just mention too that that is just Ohio State's only recruiting linebackers now that do play running back. Like that's like a that's their thing. I think that, you know, I don't know. Did Raekwon, did he say today that he played, played high school? Back, yeah. I, I don't think they're going to be getting a lot of uh, linebacker-only players. I think what they did want... Booker play in high school? Booker played tight end and uh, linebacker. Okay. So I, I just think that that's the type of athlete that they want and they find ideal for that position in general. So um, it wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I'm not surprised. It's like Brendan White doesn't even play linebacker in high school. And neither did Darren Lee, and I know that that's an overused example, but that example is what's supposed to be the norm of how they approach recruiting that I mean, position. I mean, it might be an overused example, but Darren Lee went from a guy who didn't play linebacker in high school to playing linebacker for three years at Ohio State to a first-round pick at linebacker. Yeah. So, I mean, that says something about – that says a lot about Darren Lee. It says something about Luke Fickle coaching linebackers, but it says a lot, I think, about Ohio State and their ability to find – good football players, and figure out how to use them. So the thing I want to ask you, Ari, since I screwed up the Jerome Baker quarterback thing, are there guys who are coming to Ohio State at quarterback? And I guess the only two guys I'm talking about now would be Tate Martell and Emory Jones, their 2017 quarterback recruit and their 2018 quarterback recruit. And maybe I can go back and apply it to Dwayne Haskins were they all quarterbacks for sure? Are they all quarterbacks for sure? Or do you know, like, would somebody else have played Dwayne Haskins somewhere else? Would somebody else be looking at Tate Martell as a safety or Emory Jones as a different position? Or are they all quarterbacks? Can we go back to the previous class? Because they did switch a quarterback. They've done it with Torrance Gibson. Right. So I think that's important to mention that. We just wanted to get his name in there, you know, but like <laughs> get him in the headline. But like that's for real, like because he was a six foot four, talented, athletic guy. I don't think Tate Martell's an outside linebacker. Yeah, and I don't know. 
it's interesting because Tate Martell has a lot of comparisons to Johnny Manziel, but I think Braxton Miller's play style is kind of the same, right? Not quite big, yeah. but very elusive, can make plays on the run, and is a pretty good thrower, passer. So could Tate Martell be a slot guy? Maybe? I, I don't know, but I think that him and Emory Jones are are uh, unquestionably going to be quarterbacks here. Yeah, and but I think would they be quarterback? I know they're going to be quarterbacks here. I don't think but that is other... everybody thinking. I'm trying to get a gauge on whether Urban Meyer has hit on something with maybe being more willing and maybe smarter about it, more willing to keep some of these kids who are great football players and maybe not A plus throwers and keep them at quarterback because he doesn't list the ability to throw among his top five most important qualities of a quarterback. And I don't, I, I think, I mean, I don't know that JT Barrett could have been anything else. JT yeah. Barrett is a quarterback through and through. Um, but I do think, you know, it's like, we're sort of saying like, well, could he have played Darren Lee at quarterback or could he have played Malik Harrison, who, by the way, if that's an unfamiliar name, we've mentioned him. He's a freshman linebacker. Um, for Ohio State right now, who has played a little bit on special teams, I think has impressed the coaches yeah, so like far, uh, but was, again, an athlete recruit coming out, right? That mm-hmm. one of those guys um, that you didn't know exactly where he was going to fit in. But is Urban Meyer, do you think Urban Meyer is doing a good job at putting good football players who may have been moved to other positions at quarterback for Ohio State? Is I do. That? Okay. What I find interesting about that whole thing is that, like, he – Always talks about how he won't offer a quarterback until he watches them throw, and then he doesn't care. And how then they doesn't throw. care. How, <laughs> you know, it's like, what do you even care? All I know for sure is that Emory Jones can throw the ball like Cardale, right? Like, isn't that yeah, the thing? Like, arm. he's got a huge arm, and he's a bigger-bodied dual-threat guy. And I think that he's, if he's I not super tall, but he's thicker. He's I think thin, that yeah. out of all the players who are coming to Ohio State. And this isn't the question, but all the players that are coming to Ohio State, Emory Jones might be the next great quarterback here. Yeah. I think that if I were to go all in and you just put me against a wall and said, which of all these future quarterbacks that are Joe coming Burrow, to Ohio State, Joe Dwayne Burrow, Haskins, Dwayne Haskins, Tate Martell, Emory Jones. I think I would start my college team around Emory Jones 100 times out of 100. Really? Okay. Um, and I think that that's kind of the viewpoint. I think he's the best complete quarterback that Ohio State has committed, and they have really good ones. What are you going to Georgia? What's that? When are you going to Georgia? I don't know. That's a good question. We've been to Georgia. We've done the Georgia thing. You guys need to go back. I think I disagree with that. Who do you like? Haskins. Didn't Urban Meyer say that Haskins is the most advanced thrower he's ever seen? And granted, Urban Meyer can't talk about Emory Jones yet because Emory Jones is 2018 and won't sign for another year and a half. But he, like, raved about Dwayne Haskins' throwing ability, and you wrote about why he's so advanced. I think that... He's very advanced, but based on what we've seen from what is great about Ohio State's offense when it's working on all cylinders, I think it is about the running game. And I, I, they can say all they want about how prepared and how much of a mind game it is. I think that Emory Jones has a stronger arm and can run better than him. And I think right now, if you just took the names off these guys' jersey and said, what do you want? Most advanced thrower of all time who doesn't move as well or guy who throws the ball really, really hard but also runs his tail off, I think you would take the second option every time just if you took their names off their jersey. I, uh, I think Haskins is probably a better runner. I don't think Urban Meyer recruits a quarterback who can't run. No, that's what I think. And that was a big thing What I remember asking. I think I never even wrote it, but I remember asking, like, pushing Urban on that a little bit about how good of a runner is Dwayne Haskins because, again, I've said this a million times. I think 
the thing in the end that the Cardale Jones experience proved is that overall, for a full season in general, Urban Meyer needs a quarterback who can run the zone read, who can run planned runs. He cannot just have a drop back guy who can scramble because he cannot make his offense work I think that way. My only point was that I think that I would take the quarterback who can run a step better than the quarterback who can throw a step better. I feel like we're back. When did we do our quarterback podcast? Long time we should ago. do it again. I think, I, think it's really our quarterback quarterback. I, think we might, I think we might be back on that for next week even because um, JT Barrett, like you can't take JT Barrett for granted. Like he, again, he's going to be a guy that Ohio State fans are going to talk about for a long time. We did a whole separate JT Barrett podcast, mm-hmm. and I think in the end we were a little bit ahead of the curve on that. Nobody at the moment is talking about JT Barrett as a Heisman candidate anymore. He's just not quite that. He is a very, very good winning quarterback, and you cannot take him for granted. And I think at the moment it's fair to assume he's going to be back here next year, but. I am really, really interested to see who the next starting quarterback at Ohio State is going to be because all these options we're talking about, Joe Burrow has flashed enough to make you curious. Dwayne Haskins, they've said enough good things about to make you curious. Tate Martell, by merely existing, makes you curious about him because he seems like a fascinating yeah, talk about guy. The quarterback battle last year. What about what about the one um, that's going to be coming up with no fa- with no incumbent, no yeah. favorite, no. You know, experience, no experience, but, <laughs> and and none of them are like they, you know, that they went from. Yeah, it's going to be great. I mean, that's uh, okay. okay yeah, we have our next podcast. Okay, it's let's just go back to what I wanted to cover, and I don't know if you remembered this, so I'm going to bring it up. Okay, okay. Paris Campbell, cornerback, said it. Yes, no, I know. <laughs> so that's another one. Then there's one more I want to get to. Paris Campbell, who is Ohio State's basically number two receiver at the moment. Noah Brown is their leading outside receiver. Paris Campbell is their kick returner, and he's their other starting receiver. They say good things about him. They like him as a blocker. He hasn't done a whole lot offensively. They got him the ball a little – they ran a reverse to him. They did. The other he's, day. He's four touchdowns. Um, but I do think Ari Wasserman is very interested in this and has some good information about it because when it comes to a matter of production – Paris Campbell has 10 catches for 96 yards this year. And four of those 10 were against Rutgers. And that doesn't count. (laughs) Paris Campbell seems like a very good football player and athlete who is not producing that much. Is he at the wrong position? And Ari, you have... An idea and a theory that maybe Paris Campbell, we're talking about should Marshawn Lattimore be a receiver instead of instead of a cornerback. Paris Campbell, who is six foot one, two hundred and eight pounds, which I'm gonna guess is basically the same size as Gary on Conley, who is six foot one ninety-five. Is Paris Campbell, he's playing receiver, is he playing on the wrong side of the ball? I think that size matters at corner, right? Is that the whole thing? Yeah. Size matters more for cornerbacks than it does for receivers, I think. Because you are in control as a receiver of dictating the direction you're going in. And um, he's got the prototypical size of a cornerback. That's all I'm saying. He's a receiver right now. Urban Meyer's talked about how he is one of the most important players in the team. He's involved in the return game. Like you said, he got a reverse. If you put Paris Campbell next to Gary on Conley and Marshawn Lattimore with their shirts off, and just said, like, which one looks like the most prototypical? Wouldn't you take Paris over 
Marshawn? I mean, I just think from Harris a body type, bigger and thicker a little bit. He's, he's bigger, probably and a little more to him than Marshawn. Marshawn is more, I think, of a sort of like a just a fast guy, right? That, but Paris is just a, has a little more meat on his bones, I think. Yeah, he's a, yeah, he's a beefy dude, and he's physical too. Like the reason they love him at receivers because he blocks well. Yeah. So clearly, he's willing to play physical. And I think if you flip that to the other side, you got a pretty good uh, press corner. And I feel like back in the day when they would talk about this stuff, like, would, haven't you heard coaches or people say? Um, how did you wind up a corner? And it's like, well, I was a receiver and I couldn't catch. Yeah. And what's the thing that still sticks out a little bit with Paris Campbell? Mm-hmm. The hands a little bit. Yeah. The hands a little bit, right? Again, we're not criticizing Paris Campbell because he's been a very good football player. I would say of guys on this team this year, of who who has the most looks like a football player, is talked about as a good football player, seems like a very good football player, but then has the least production, the least bang for the buck out of his skill and potential. And people were praising him last week as being, he hurt his ankle and he did 30 hours of rehab last week to get in there against Nebraska. And people were saying like, what a great job um, Paris Campbell did um, to do that. And then I want to check and get the numbers quick, you know, and, and all the credit in the world to Paris Campbell um, for doing that. Paris Campbell works his butt off to get back and does not catch a pass against Nebraska. He had like a 40-yard kick return. But is that enough? As opposed to, oh, Paris Campbell went out and just locked down a Nebraska receiver for 50 snaps. The thing about Paris Campbell is I never really thought he was a natural receiver. He played running back at St. Vincent St. Mary and was really good, again, kind of very similar to the way Jerome Baker played uh, running back, but Paris Campbell had a little more... uh, a little more shake to him, I guess. Um, but he, to me, never seemed like a very natural wide receiver, just like a lot of guys in that room who were forced to be a receiver out of something else. Um, I asked Zach Bourne about playing linebacker the year before he got switched to linebacker in 2012. Um, so, of all the guys, none of these other guys were saying should switch, will switch, whatever. It's just sort of talk. If Marshawn Lattimore and Garyon Conley both go pro, are we nuts? Are we nuts? Are we 100% nuts? It's partially nuts. If there's two starting cornerbacks go pro, and then next year they would have Denzel Ward, who's playing a lot this year. Damon Arnett. And Damon Arnett. And is Jordan Fuller a corner or a safety? He's probably a safety. Are yeah, we 100% yeah. nuts? No, I don't think so. Especially when you consider two, like Denzel Ward is not very tall. Denzel Ward's like five foot nine, right? Yeah, he's a small, fast corner. He's and I don't know how big Damon Ar- Damon Arnett's a little bigger than that. I think, but when you lose Garyon Conley and you lose Marshawn Lattimore, you're losing two guys with that prototypical cornerback size that Ari was talking about. And I think you'd want to replenish that with guys who are that size. For as good as Denzel Ward is. He is not at least a body type of the guys they talk about when they talk about the corners they want. 5'10", 185. I don't think he's 5'10". No. They're, he's listed at 5'10", 185. I think he's smaller than that. Seems like it. And Damon Arnett is 6'195", which is sort he's of a little more size, along the lines, but, right. Um, Again, not to say that Denzel Ward can't play because he's been good and he's ridiculous. <laughs> Maybe he should play offense. <laughs> I think he's like Denzel Ward. On, he's smaller than 5'10". <laughs> he should be their H-back. Yeah, he's down Trey Wilson. Let's move him. 
Um, Why don't we just remove every yeah. single person on the team around? Yeah. Just reshuffle the deck. We'll just hand in our new depth chart to Because Irvin. we haven't even gotten the, the other one. There's another person that was like in the Paris Campbell category of positions. Yeah. And we haven't gotten to him yet. And I don't want to say his right. name until we're ready. But No, say his name. Is it Billy Price? It's Billy Price. Okay. Billy Price, who is now a three-year starter on the offensive line, if he comes back next year, he will have been a four-year starter on the offensive line, which is pretty stinking impressive. Yeah. But there was a big deal when he got here of whether he was going to be a defensive lineman or an offensive lineman. And he was a defensive lineman for a time. And if he was a defensive lineman right now, what would he be, do you think? A guy who eats blocks in the middle of a defensive line and causes a whole lot of havoc because he's fast and super strong. Well, and what's the what's the part of the team that has probably been the most I don't want to say glaring weakness, but the the most questionable spot I feel like from training camp until now is the defensive tackles, right? Mm-hmm. Billy yeah. Price nose guard does that work for anybody? Works for me. I mean, I think and Michael Hill's been having I think. Um, a pretty good year, at least. And Urban Meyer praised him. Michael Hill this week. Yeah, but again, they like to rotate defensive line guys too. And Billy Price is a fine offensive lineman. I think he could be a little bit of a um, little bit of a problem for teams if he was playing defensive tackle. He's the strongest guy on the team. I said you, you just line him up over the center and have him push the center backwards every play, eat up two blocks. You know, I mean, like, they, they have this, you know, they, they use the look on third down a lot where they have th- four defensive ends in there. Um, but he would be very – again, I always like guys that are different, right? I mean, yeah. I do think at a, even at a place like Ohio State, they can get in trouble a little bit. And Thad Mata has gotten in trouble with this a little bit where it's like, well, what do you like? Well, we like um, tall athletic tackles, right? Yeah. Okay, so you recruit nine tall athletic tackles – and then you don't have any guards. Or you say, uh, we like um, you know, speedy, shifty receivers. And you recruit seven speedy, shifty receivers all between 5'11 and 6 feet. And you don't have any big receivers. Thad yeah. Mata loves to recruit like long wing guys who can do it all. And it's like, well, you don't have any shooters. You don't have any rebounders. So um, I think Billy Price, if you put Billy Price in that mix with Jalen Holmes and Nick Bosa and Sam Hubbard and Tyquan Lewis and all the – and even with Michael Hill and Draymond Jones and the guys inside, Billy Price is different yeah. than all those guys. And if you look at what a guy like um, Tommy Shutt or a guy like like Dexter Larimore was a really good interior lineman here six or seven years ago, I think Billy Price would be like that, but times two, like just maul people. And again, he's been a really good offensive guard. I think he's playing at an all-Big Ten level. You know, it's not like they're wasting Billy Price but I would I would be interested to see what he would have been like on defense. I think basically the entire premise of this podcast is that everybody on the field is playing the wrong position, including Herman, JT. Yeah. JT, why JT Barrett should be Ohio State's middle linebacker. <laughs> um, it's quarterback of the defense. So, I mean, this is the kind of thing, and again, you, you, you like coaches like to joke about this. You know, when guys are coming in, they'll have a couple uh, arguments about, you know, we want this guy, no, we want this guy. And um, it's interesting. I mean, it changes – it changes people's lives, you know, of of how you wind up at a certain spot because they're not, I mean, they're not changing in the NFL. Other than Terrell Pryor, you know, it's hard to get to the NFL and say, you know what, my coaches made me play corner, 
but I really am a receiver. That's not really how it goes. So you hear the coaches say a lot, well, we had, we had to do what was best for the team. And then the guy ends up playing a certain position. It's like, in the end, was that really his best position? Because they're yeah. not really worried about what's his best position. They're worried about what's his best position that helps us win. Right. And if they have lots of guys at one spot, not so many at the other, that's how they make those decisions. All right, we'll do some questions. You I can... think I have – I don't mean to interrupt you, but I think I have questions that are also in line with the topic that we were having. Okay. So we'll I think it would be a good transition. First. So um, we talked about um, Damon Webb a little bit. Yes. So I wanted to use this discussion to segue into a Damon Webb question, not about what position he should be playing. but who, Damon Webb, who was a corner that moved to safety, by the way. This is from a guy named Mark Condon, at Mark underscore Condon. Will Eric Smith take Damon Webb's job at any point this season? And the reason why I bring this up is I think that Damon Webb has become the defender of the year of being questioned. And I feel like every year that fan bases latch on to one or two guys on one side of the ball, and it's kind of like no matter what happens, it's that guy's fault. It's an interesting question because Damon Webb didn't have any glaring issue in the last game. He had a pick six on the third play of the game. And from what I understand, he hasn't really been that glaring of a of a thing in terms of being a deficiency. Again, we're not X's and O's experts, but I think we would know it if it was terrible. Why has Damon Webb taken on this persona, do you guys think? And will Eric Smith take Damon Webb's job? I don't We've think that's talked a- about this before. Yeah. yeah. Um, Damon Webb is playing the safety spot that Von Bell played, which is the more like a corner. They talked about that a lot. We have a safety when you're playing press man and you're going against three and four wide a lot, you have a safety who has to play like a corner. So Tyus Powell wasn't that safety. He was more the big body guy. Von Bell was the cover safety. Damon Wells, Damon Webb's the cover safety. Malik Hooker is more the big body safety. Um, I just don't think he's as good as Von Bell. And yep. he was getting burned. I mean, when, when Northwestern was burning Ohio State with their slot receiver, Damon Webb was a guy locked up in those coverages a lot of the time. Now, they're not asking him. They weren't asking him to play press man. He was playing more off, um, and maybe he was supposed to have some help at times, but Austin Carr was running free with Damon Webb chasing him. So, but I think we said this, I think we had this exact question. I don't think Eric Smith is that safety right. though either. Eric yeah. Smith is more going to be Malik Hooker's replacement yeah. next year. And I feel like maybe Jordan Fuller is yeah. going to be who the next Damon Webb is. So I don't think it's as easy as much as they sort of interchange their safeties. They sort of don't. So I don't know that replacing Damon Webb with Eric Smith is actually on the table because they're kind of different players asked to do different things with different styles. Okay. I think, um, yeah. I think there's one, one more point just to think about Damon Webb. Um, He's in a secondary with three guys who are projected first-round NFL draft picks. So even if he's not awful, he's still not as good as those guys, and teams look to pick on the weak link. So he's the weak link among three guys who are NFL first-rounders. Doesn't mean he's bad. means he's not as good as those three guys, and that's who you attack. No, and I think that's, again, I don't, I don't think anyone thinks Damon Webb has been bad, right? I don't think anyone – I mean, we do get a lot of questions about him, but I don't think – I think it would be unfair to say he's been bad – but there just have been some moments where, like you said, they got to go after somebody. Yeah. Okay, another position switch question, kind of. Dontre Wilson has been an interesting trip to watch as a punt returner. Mm-hmm. Urban Meyer's making a change. We think. So, possibly. Uh, and he's mentioned at the press conference on Monday that K.J. Hill is in the mix. 
Curtis Samuel's in the mix. And am I forgetting anybody? I think uh, those were the DeMario, two main ones. DeMario, DeMario McCall. Tunis Campbell at GQ Man of the Year underscore, which means he must dress. Which one of these defensive players should be returning punts? Ba-boom, boom. Rayquan McMillan said on Monday he thought there was defensive guys that could return punts, by the way. Marshawn Lattimore said after practice last Wednesday, because someone asked, because Paris Campbell was injured, he had the injured ankle, and somebody asked Marshawn Lattimore if he had been working on kick return, and he said no, but I've been working on punt return. And Marshawn Lattimore, we talked about how awesome he was in high school. He returned kicks when he was in high school, too. Um, I think he'd be an awesome punt returner. And that's like the, that's like normal, right? Sure. Defensive, pl- yeah, yeah, defensive yeah. players returning punts that never even sniff offense. I mean, isn't that like, that's what was so exciting about the Justin Gilbert pick that the Browns made a few years ago because he was a really good corner at Oklahoma State, right? But he was a really, really good return man. I think the thing with Lattimore is, and we've talked about his hamstring injuries throughout his entire career, maybe you don't want to put a guy like him in a position that he could possibly hurt himself when he's playing so well at corner and you have so many other athletes. It's so, it's extra, especially. Right. Yeah. Right. So I have other questions, but if you guys have more, um, I've got a lot, so I don't know if I want to monopolize it. Um, but the one thing I wanted to – this guy and, and, you know, how we said at the beginning of this podcast, we just said, Ohio State's football team can't look ahead to Michigan, but we can. So I have a question about it from some random guy. That's actually what his name is on Twitter. <laughs> At Will E-K-E underscore underscore that, underscore. That guy changes his name like every week. And I don't know if I get fooled because Doug is more able to... No, but he's asked questions before. He's okay, he says, yeah, I like this guy. Some random guy. Take a quick look at the Michigan matchup, particularly our O versus their D. What do you think? I think that... Um, Good questions this week, by the way. They're going to have a hell of a time trying to throw the football against Jordan Lewis, and I don't even know who else is in our secondary, but Jordan Lewis is in it, and that's all that matters. <laughs> Jordan <laughs> Lewis, by the way, can cover three people at once. Um, I saw a few guys want to talk about I saw ridiculous stats we did that earlier today. If you want to talk about that for a second, I'll find the stat. The one thing, too, I think on the offensive side of the ball, I was talking about this, I think, in the press box with somebody over the weekend. Um, I feel like Michigan might have – some offensive similarities to Penn State in terms of a variety of playmakers and defensive similarities to Wisconsin in terms of being an excellent defense. Uh, and certainly Penn State didn't beat Ohio State because they put up huge offensive numbers. But those were things going into the game. You looked and you said they have real outside receivers. They have a real running back. They have, I think when you look at Michigan, two outside receivers that are legit. Jake Butt at tight end, legit. Quarterback who I think is playing better and better and better and who mm-hmm. can throw it and I don't think is going to shrink in a big game, legit. Decent run game, and I continue to believe. I think Jabril Peppers has like 18 offensive touches or 20 offensive touches so far in nine games. I am waiting for Jabril Peppers to get the ball 10 or 12 times on offense against Ohio State. So I think across the board there are a lot of matchups in that game that actually favor Michigan. Here's the stat I was talking about. Um, so Michigan starting cornerbacks are Jordan Lewis, who's an All-American, and Channing Stribling is the opposite corner. And this is from CFB Film Room. Um, there have been 40 targets of 10 yards or more downfield attempted against both those guys. So 40 passes, six have been completed. No touchdowns, four interceptions. Uh, those guys are lockdown corners, and Ohio State's having enough trouble passing the ball as it is. I really thought almost um, – the change that Ohio State made with their nickel coverage, and they put Gary on Conley at the slot corner and put Lattimore and Ward at the outside corner spots uh, against Nebraska after the week before getting burned by the slot when they were trying to cover that with either Damon Webb or Damon Arnett. 
I thought that was almost, first of all, it was a smart move that needed to be made. But that to me is like, who's covering Peppers if they put him in the game at the slot? Yeah. Gary on Conley is now. We're going to trust Ward and Lattimore to cover Darbo and Chesson on the outside. And we're going to, how are you going to, st- you're going to, you're not going to let Jabril Peppers run free against your fourth best corner or your safety who's not a coverage specialist. So, you know, I think there are a lot of things, um, a lot of things that are an issue for Ohio State in that game. And I think, you know, the answer for Ohio State in that game is Curtis Samuel, Curtis Samuel, Curtis Samuel, Curtis Samuel. And I think Curtis Samuel needs 25 touches in that game, not 14 13. or 12. Or yeah. He had 12 in the first half against Nebraska and then just one in the second half because they didn't need him. 12 and 12, first half, second half against Michigan. That's my Curtis Samuel formula for that game. Yeah. All right, I have one that I wanted to get to because it came in an actual email, not just on Twitter. I think I might have gotten the same email, too. Was it from Daniel Hyatt? No, it wasn't. Go ahead. All right, this is uh, – he also referenced us as the bad podcast, which I appreciated. Oh, okay. That's what we called it back in the day Throwback. last year. Um, it's from Daniel Hyatt, who says he is an OSU grad and a Buckeye fan for more than 50 years. So we appreciate you listening, Daniel. You are our listener of the week. A um, couple questions he had – it's, we'll go each side of the ball. Which players have progressed the most this season on offense and on defense? Who are the guys that have made the biggest leaps through nine games? Let's go defense first. Defense first, I mean, I think there's a, there were so many question marks. It's a very interesting thing to talk about. But, I mean, like Malik Hooker. We didn't yeah. know who Malik Hooker was, and now he's nuts. It's almost unfair because he's so good, and it's like, well, duh. Yeah. Right. But, like... If you go from unknown to first-round draft pick, it's got to be a tie between Malik Hooker and Marshawn Lattimore, right? Everyone's a first-round draft pick, by the way. But Not everyone, but there's like seven. You know, yeah. only like, <laughs> I mean, not everybody. Uh, I don't know. I think Chris Worley's a guy who we weren't quite yep. sure he was going to be, who's, who's, who's played pretty well. I mean, everyone really on the defense has played pretty well. It's definitely the best part of the team. I'm trying to think, like, who – like who? I don't know if there's anyone we thought was, like, going to stink. Cause I mean, Jerome Baker – Right, they went lose from not they lose starting to like being in a situation now. now yeah. Buckus, I'm a I, I, and I will say, I think I'm more persuaded that Tyquan Lewis is a very good defensive player than I yeah. was at the start of the year when you questioned whether that he got his sacks off Joey Bosa. But he's made a couple individual plays at really huge points the last several weeks that really made a difference. How about offense? That's much tougher, I think. I don't know. I think the offensive line guys are coming along a little bit, but... It's hard. I mean, the, the Penn State game was just two weeks ago, and they were really bad in that How game. How about I make a weird one? Good. Ben Victor? It's because he plays. Or, yeah. <laughs> he went from not playing at all to playing. Huge he jump. like one snap last week. They threw him the ball, and he dropped it. I hate me. But did he literally play more than one play? No, he, I don't He think played so. multiple plays. Did he? Yeah. Here's a, they threw him uh, two passes this year, and... He hasn't looked very eager to catch either one of them. <laughs> I just thought, like, from what we thought at the beginning to now, I thought that, like, that is a... Okay, it's a crappy answer. You know who but, I like, don't... He did He did play. I don't I know. I feel like going from not playing to redshirt to playing means that they did something in the background that we didn't see that was a jump. I don't know what they think of their tight end play this year, but I feel like they haven't come out and really railed against it. So it makes me think they're kind of happy with it. So I might say like a guy like A.J. Alexander, who we didn't know what he even was when he got here, and he's like the number two tight end by default because the freshmen aren't ready to play. And I haven't found myself thinking like, man, A.J. Alexander blew it on that play. Granted, he hasn't played a lot, 
but I thought he caught the ball. He caught the ball against Nebraska, and he looked okay. And I think he's blocked well enough, obviously, to be in the rotation. Which I think what if I redeem myself and say Curtis Samuel? That would work. Yeah, because that mean, we he went know, from yeah. we we knew that we heard that he was going to be good. Now we're wondering if he's a better Heisman candidate than JT. Yeah, and I think that sure. like. Sorry. <laughs> Bill Landis is locked in on that. He wrote it a month ago. He was ahead of the curve, and he's right. And Bill Landis asked that question on the conference call and created the entire story. So, Sam, Curtis Samuel, if you want to send somebody a fruit basket, I'll get you Bill Landis' address. Um, two guys I would say. One is Billy Price, who I think has gone from like a good starter to like a foundational rock of the team. Yeah. Um, again, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, that he almost seems to be lumped with Pat Elfline um, as like a sure thing which I think he was a little less than that at the start of the year. And another guy is K.J. Hill, yeah. who, um, again, sort of plays behind Samuel and Dontre Wilson at H-back, but seems to flash. He caught the first touchdown pass of the year, and then he has flashed at moments of like, wow, this guy makes a couple plays. And I think going into this year, you didn't know what he was, how he fit in. And on a team with a lot of options, he sort of wedged his way in to be a guy that they do get the ball to at times. And I want to – this is a perfect segue to the next thing is I got an email too. And my email question is from Earl Molnar. What's up, Earl? Second best listener of the week. Hi, Ari. Don't you think K.J. Hill should be on the field more than Dontre Wilson? How about that? I find him to be an electric runner in the open field along with having good hands. Wilson has had more than enough opportunities to find himself and hasn't. Hill and Samuel on the field together would be very exciting to watch. What do you think? Go. I'm out of breath. I think I buy all of that. I think uh, – and they talk about being explosive and sort of losing the explosiveness. I think the two guys on the offense who have shown they can be explosive are Curtis Samuel and K.J. Hill. I thought Dontre Wilson was going to have a big year, and so this pains me a little bit to say this. I like Dontre Wilson personally. Um, we're really tight. <laughs> he seems like a swell fellow when you interview him. Um, he's had some bad breaks here. He's had some foot issues that seem to be still not 100% behind him. I feel like his punt return issues come from him being a guy who just wants to make a play and tries to do too much when he gets the ball in his hand. So I think they are Braxton Millering Dontre Wilson a little bit this year, and they are continuing to play him because they feel like he's been a good soldier yeah. who's had some tough stuff to deal with, and they want to reward him by giving him every opportunity as a senior. But I'm not so sure KJ Hill's not a good And I think that KJ Hill, like we just got done talking about Flash, and it was a good segue into the question. I think that Dontre Wilson is like the king of being one step away from something happening and never being able to get past that one step, that final break out of something step to do it. And I think that that is something that he's been faced with a lot in his career, and by now he should have been able to break through it. And You know what I mean? Like I think he, he did it as a true, true fair freshman. Remember, he got the ball more than Ezekiel Elliott did. Um but I just don't think he's the same guy. I just think the foot yeah. is enough of a thing. I agree with you. Because it did seem like before he broke his foot, even in that Michigan State game, remember he caught that touchdown in that 2014 Michigan State game That's when he with a broken foot. foot. It was already broken. Like, And he was already a main part of that offensive philosophy. And I think that we would be remiss if we did not at least mention that he has made a few very big plays. Caught a huge year. third down so last week. We can't take away his contributions because... He caught a huge third down, and, he, and then he caught that pass along the sideline in the Wisconsin game. If he drops that, they lose that game. Yeah. I do think that – I find it strange, and we've had the conversation that he's too much like Curtis Samuel, and Curtis Samuel's measurably better, so why does he ever touch the ball over Curtis? I think this is a different question, and I think it might be a coin flip with K.J. Hill, but I do think that 
he has had his opportunity to be that popping player that everybody wanted to make him, and he hasn't done it yet. The thing I still like in the look they don't really use that much, and it's probably because of blocking, is Curtis Samuel in the backfield with a slot guy, with, you know, Dontre Wilson or K.J. Hill on the field with Curtis Samuel. And it seems like more often than not, they end up playing Dontre Wilson or K.J. Hill instead of Curtis Samuel. Um, but again, that's, you know, probably the ship has sailed on that. So we went long. We went really long. So yeah. much interesting stuff to talk about. So, um, remind, remind people that the basketball season begins this week. So listen, so we have big stuff. Um, Ohio State plays at Maryland in football on 3.30 Saturday afternoon. But Friday night, and what is more than a fortuitous scheduling thing? Yes. It's planned. Yeah. They worked it. They took advantage of it. Ohio State is opening the basketball season at Navy, which is in Annapolis, Maryland, down the road from College Park, Maryland. So Bill Landis, who you should be following all year for Ohio State basketball coverage, and then Ari and I will both be around it some, um, but Bill is your guy. He will be there to cover the fighting Buckeyes <laughs> against the fighting midshipmen in the official opener. Bill, give him the 30-second breakdown of what you saw in the Ohio State Walsh exhibition game for people who are not ramped up for basketball yet. Uh, I think a better offense, which is a, probably the biggest question Ohio State basketball fans had coming into the season, is what is Chris Gent, who is seen as the savior, um, going to do for Ohio State's offense? I think it's unfair to pick Chris Gent as the savior, but thought the offense looked different. It looked a little more NBA-ish, if that makes any sense. Um, some good spacing and movement and stuff. So I think, at the very least, they're going to be interesting to watch. Um, and they have a couple games where, if they're playing well, they should be able to get rolling until the first big game. I think they play against Virginia on November 30th. And as the season goes on, we will get into more uh, basketball talk here on our Buckeye Talk podcast channel. Again, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or you can find us every Wednesday morning at cleveland.com slash OSU. So thanks for listening to another version of this. Uh, continue to read our stories all week at cleveland.com OSU. We hope you voted, and we hope that uh, regardless of how the election turned out, that listening to this um, either made you happier because you were happy with the outcome or helped cheer you up if you were not happy with the outcome. So for Ari Wasserman and Bill Landis, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.